This episode is brought to you by no one other than the members of the Best of the Left podcast. For details on membership, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Colbert Report, Bill Moyer's Journal, The Political Scene from The New Yorker, and The Rachel Maddow Show. The bonus clip for today for our iPhone app users is from Ring of Fire. So what's the central problem in Washington? It's that it's, it's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans. And a lot of people think, hey, you know what, there are about, you know, there used to be kind of 60 Democrats, now there are 59 if you count uh, Lieberman, and there's uh, 41 Republicans, right? So the, roughly speaking, the Democrats have a 59-41 advantage. But that's actually not true at all. Because the Democratic Party, let's say about 60 of them, right, um, have, are, are broken up into actually three camps. One camp is, you know, fairly good progressives. Some of them are real strong progressives. Some of them are, you know, will vary on issues, and sometimes they, if they're going to lose a vote, they'll take the campaign money anyway, et cetera. But they're, they're pretty good progressives, about 20 of them, right? 20 of them are in the middle. Their heart's in the right place. They want to vote progressive. If you put enough pr pressure on them, they will or they might, okay? But if it looks like there's any trouble at all, then they'll take the campaign cash, right? And then the, thir the last third of the Democrats uh, are not progressives at all. They pretend to be progressives. They campaign as progressives. They tell the voters, oh, I'm on your side. I'm for the little guy. But they got no intention. They're actually Republicans. Now, you could say, no, that's not really entirely true, because on some social issues, for example, they'll vote with Democrats. So there's a difference between those de even those Democrats and the Republicans, and you'd be right. But on the corporate issues, they will always vote with the Republicans. Now, all 40, and then now 41 Republicans, they're all corporatists. Okay? In the House, a couple of guys are not that are Republican. Of course, famously, Ron Paul. And he's an independent, and he really makes up his own mind. You could disagree with him on the issues, but he's uh, nobody's sellout to corporate America. Okay? But in the Senate, every single stinking one of them, of the Republicans, are corporatists. And then you've got 20 Democrats who are absolute corporatists. Right? So... The, the largest party in the Senate, and the one that's holding up all the reform, is actually the corporatist party. And they have the supermajority. They've got 60 senators, and they're never going to get broken. That's why we need to do campaign finance reform, or at least call them out and show the American people, whether Democrat or Republican, how they sell out to special interests. That's our only hope. Otherwise, the reason we have gridlock, the number one problem with Washington, is because those guys, they don't want financial reform. They don't want health care reform. They don't want any of this reform. They want the health insurance companies, the drug companies, cap and trade. Hell no. Well, the oil companies, the coal companies, uh, the banks. It said they want all of them to make as much money as possible. They want to be able to loot the store at will. And if they're not making enough money with no regulation, no reform, no nothing, well, then they'll just directly take it out of the taxpayers like they did with the TARP program. The people in charge of Washington is that supermajority of 60 corporatist senators. That's the reality. And that's what they never tell you on TV. That's what they never tell you in the press. Because that would be impolite. You would be trashing the senators. You would be being rude. And God forbid you should stop covering for them. So don't turn off your TV, man. They're, not, they're never going to tell you the truth there. Uh, you know, every once in a while there'll be a story, either on television or in the 
in print journalism, and I'll get excited. I'll be like, look at this! In the middle of the New York Times on page 824, we got a real story. I'm so jazzed. Once Rick Sanchez on CNN did a story where he's like, could it be that the politicians are taking money from, you know, from these corporations and lobbyists, and that might affect their vote? And I'm sitting here going, of course, of course it is. Rick, you're on to something. Roll with it, right? So from time to time, you'll get a tiny story that's headed in the right direction, but that'll get snuffed out. Overall, they think their job is to protect those sell-out corporatist politicians. So that's what's actually happening in Washington. celebrating another long-oppressed minority, corporations. The Supreme Court recently ruled that corporations have the right to make unlimited contributions to political ad campaigns. Now, I have always, yes, I cheer for them too. Now, I have always fought for freedom of corporate speech. That's why mine was the very first presidential campaign to be sponsored by a snack chip. Last September, I predicted the country was headed for a glorious future. We can't stop with just freedom of speech. We must endow corporations with all the freedoms we flesh and blood people have been hogging for too long. And if corporations are people, why can't we just cut out the middleman and elect President Microsoft Office Assistant Clippy? <laughs> he does have some great ideas. Now. You might say, Stephen, why do you care about corporations' rights? You're a human being. Yes, occasionally. But I am always a corporation. Spartina Productions. You see, Spartina sells my services to this network and also makes industrial solvents used in a well-ventilated area. Oh, wait, this is our baby shampoo. Do not use near an open flame. <laughs> and as a corporation, I have a dream. A dream that someday we will finally have a president we can not only look up to, but also buy stock in. <laughs> that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will create tax shelters that will then sit down together at the table of brotherhood, making that meal a tax-deductible business expense. <laughs> but as with any civil rights struggle, we are up against the forces of hate narrow-minded men who want to keep corporations in their place, which I believe is the Cayman Islands. <laughs> men like Connecticut Senator Christopher Dodd, who is proposing a constitutional amendment to limit corporate campaign contributions. Sorry, Senator. We financial entities have tasted freedom, and we are not going back. We have been to the mountaintop, and we are going to build a nice ski chalet up there. <laughs> I would love to hear him try to defend his hate speech. Here to try to defend his hate speech 
Joining me live via the Colbert Report, Lockheed Martin, Eye in the Sky Satellite, is Senator and Corporate Segregationist Christopher Dodd. Welcome, Senator Dodd. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. Now, sir, you are planning to introduce a constitutional amendment to overturn the Supreme Court's recent decision that corporations deserve the same free speech protections as individuals. Correct. Sir, why do you hate free speech? I love free speech. I just want to make sure everybody has an equal opportunity to be heard. And right now, you've got corporations that already control so much of the airwaves, and to give them what would amount to a Dolby, what is it, the Dolby digital surround sound system would make it impossible for average citizens. That barber that you've often talked about who'd like to be heard as much as a corporation when it comes to their rights. So it's not depriving them of a right, it's merely trying to guarantee that the average citizen can be heard, well, and they're being heard less and less today. Why can't the average citizen spend $10 million to get uh, their agenda furthered in a television ad? Nothing's stopping them from doing that, sir. If they're, if they're a candidate, they can be, and there are people who do that all the time. I, for one, would like to see public financing of these federal elections across the country to level the playing field. But that, uh, that's one option. The constitutional amendment, the reason I'm offering that, is because the Supreme Court, they not only decided the race in 2000, where five members of the Supreme Court denied Florida the opportunity to actually have a recount, now they want to control the debate to such an extent that corporations can dip into their treasuries and decide they're going to have unlimited uh, resources pour into candidates. Why That's should a corporation not be able to have unlimited free speech? Corporations are persons. You will no, admit that. Corporations no, are persons. No, that's a fiction. There are persons. Oh, no, the Supreme Court has ruled on that, sir. And that's why we need the constitutional amendment to overturn a very bad decision. Supreme Courts in the past have made bad decisions, so we need a constitutional amendment to address a constitutional crisis. What other bad decisions would you like to overturn with this amendment, sir? Brown v. Board of Education? No, it's a great decision. <laughs> because I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if you think that all corporations are bad, that's what I'm hearing. All corporations no, no, are no. bad, and they're going to use their money to influence the system, and we should be scared of them, and you shouldn't let your daughter date them. That's this true. whole thing sounds kind of bigoted to me. Well, not at all. In fact, there's nothing bigoted about it. In fact, corporations are very important. I'd like corporations to do what they do. If they're an oil company, produce oil and energy. If they're a, a visual company, an entertainment company, do that. But the idea that we'll now be referring to each other, not as the senator from Connecticut or the senator from California, but the senator from Alcoa, the senator from GE, or the senator from some major corporation. You might end up having senators actually have logos on their coats, like they do at NASCAR races, identifying which corporations they represent. Well, at least that you'll, is a know, you'll know whose interests they're looking after. Well, that's for certain. They'll be looking after their own interests. And one corporation could decide just to dump millions of dollars behind a candidate and so skewer the results of those campaigns that, again, that average citizen out there who wants their voice to be heard, who's heard, being heard less and less, if the Tea Party really wanted to gravitate around an issue, this would be the issue they ought to get themselves associated with. You said that if corporations are allowed more influence over elections, quote, our democracy as we know it will cease to exist. That's true. Sir? Have you seen our democracy as we know it these days? Well, a change would be as good as a holiday. Well, we need, we need change, that's for sure. But the change they're advocating here, I think, would set the country back. You know, at the outset of the republic, Stephen, you had to be a white male that owned property in order to run for public office. Now, we got rid of all of those barriers. Now we're creating new ones here. And by allowing corporations for the first time in over 100 years to participate as the Supreme Court would allow them, I think would so change the political environment in this country, elections would become the Super Bowls of, of, of uh, advertising on television, 
with Doritos deciding to put $10 billion, $10 million behind a candidate. What's wrong with Doritos putting money behind a candidate? I am personally insulted, sir. I love Doritos, but I don't want to decide who the senator from Connecticut will be. Well, I believe that our democracy should be crunch-tastic. <laughs> senator Christopher Dodd, everybody. We'll be right back. Down in Bowery, they lose their you can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Down in Lexington, they walk in new shoes, stuck to aging feet, and close their eyes and open, and I recognize the aging street, and think about how things were right when they Since were I reported in 1999, for example, nine justices currently serving on the Texas Supreme Court have raised nearly $12 million in campaign contributions. The race for a seat on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court last year was the most expensive judicial race in the country, with more than $4.5 million spent by the Democrats and Republicans. Now, with the Supreme Court Citizens United decision, that corporate muscle just got a big hypodermic full of steroids. Here to talk about the Supreme Court decision and judicial elections is a journalist well-schooled in the law. Jeffrey Tubin is himself a lawyer and a former assistant United States attorney. He now covers legal affairs as a staff writer at the New Yorker magazine and is senior legal analyst for CNN. For the New Yorker, Tubin has profiled those two Supreme Court justices I interviewed for Frontline, Anthony Kennedy and Stephen Breyer, as well as Chief Justice John Roberts in this article headline, No More Mr. Nice Guy. He's also the author of this bestseller, The Nine, Inside the Secret World of the Supreme Court the latest of his five books on politics and the law. I've said this before in the name of full disclosure, and I'll say it again. I have known Jeff Tubin since he could barely reach this tabletop. <laughs> Welcome back to the general. Yeah, you just heard Justice Kennedy interviewed 11 years ago when he said to me, big problem, you know, this problem of money and judicial elections. And now he's just written the majority opinion in Citizens United, uh, taking the lid off of what corporations and unions can spend in, in elections. Do you think he has any understanding of the implications for judicial elections of the decision he just wrote? Well, I think he understands it, but... I, th what the Constitution is always about is balancing interests that sometimes conflict with each other. And under his interpretation and that of four other justices, he says that corporations have these close to absolute free speech rights. So even though that may lead to additional corruption of our elections, that's what the Constitution commands. But that's not the whole story here. And in fact, the government has regulated political speech by corporations for a hundred years, since 1907. So it's not like uh, free speech is an on-off switch. We have lots of people in, in, in our society who have some free speech rights, but not complete rights. Students, prisoners, government employees, they, they all have some free speech rights and not others. Corporations. But to participate in the political process, there have been limits for decades, and that hasn't been a problem until now. What do you think this recent decision means for judicial elections in particular? Well, I think judicial elections are really the untold story 
of Citizens United, the, the untold implication. Because when the decision happened, a lot of people said, okay, this means that Exxon will spend millions of dollars to defeat Barack Obama when he runs for re-elections. I don't think there's any chance of that at all. That's too high profile. There's too much money available from other sources in this race, in, in, in a presidential race. But judicial elections are really a, the, a national scandal that few people really know about because corporations in particular and labor unions to a lesser extent have such tremendous interest in who's on state supreme courts and even lower state courts that that's where they're going to put their, their money and their energy because they'll get better bang for their buck there. Well, I know you don't read minds, but is Kennedy unaware of what this could mean for what he just said, the integrity of our judicial system? Well, he's more aware than practically any justice on the court because just last year he wrote an opinion about the abuse of money in judicial elections. That was and the it, West Virginia case where he said a Supreme Court judge in West Virginia must recuse himself, remove himself from deciding a case involving a campaign contributor who'd given three million dollars to the judge's campaign. Right. I mean, the, the, the facts in that case were so egregious that the court, which really doesn't like to get involved in specific races, couldn't look away. It was so awful. As you said, there was a 50 million dollar judgment against a, a coal company. The CEO of that coal company, knowing that case was coming up for appeal, knowing how divided the court was, put $3 million of his own money into supporting one candidate. That candidate won. That candidate was the deciding vote in the case. And the losing side said, look, this, this is a violation of the law, a violation of due process of law. And the Supreme Court, in an opinion by Justice Kennedy, said the appearance of that justice in that case was just so bad, even though they couldn't prove he'd been effectively bribed, they overturned the case. What Justice Kennedy said, by the way, is just one line in the Citizens United case. He said that uh, it's important for the judge to recuse himself, but it's also important that we not limit the political speech of the person who is contributing to his campaign. So he's making some kind of distinction there. Well, you know, again, apparently, to use a famous phrase associated with the Supreme Court, you know, he knows it when he sees it. Like, what's too much of a campaign contribution. You know, when does the money get so um, egregiously uh, out of whack that you have to, the judge has to recuse himself? But, you know, the logical extension of that argument is that they should all recuse themselves, and obviously we can't have a system like that. So that's why, though the West Virginia case is, is illustrative, recusal is only an answer in a handful of cases. It's a systemic problem, not an individual problem. What do you think, as an attorney and as a journalist, about that decision, the Citizens United decision? One of the things about what it used to mean to be a judicial conservative was that you believed in judicial restraint. You believed in judges deferring to the elected branches of government uh, whenever possible. G George W. Bush always used to say, uh, I, I want judges who who interpret the law don't legislate from the bench. This was judicial conservatism in an activist mode. Because here, this was a, uh, Citizens United was evaluating the McCain-Feingold bill, a big part of it, which was passed by Congress very recently, signed by President Bush. In right. Signed by President Bush. Parts of it had been approved by the Supreme Court before, but the conservative majority said, we know better. When you had justices like John Marshall Harlan 
uh, who was appointed by President Eisenhower, or Justice Potter Stewart, who was uh, appointed by, also appointed by President Eisenhower. Uh, they did believe in backing away from what the legislative branches did. This seems a much more agenda-driven conservatism, where if the legislature doesn't do what they want and interpret the Constitution the way they want, they are going to impose it. And that's what's so striking about this opinion, is that this is exactly what liberals used to be accused of doing, which is rewriting the laws to, to favor the side that they want. But here you have supposed conservatives doing it. At the, at the State of the Union address last month, President Obama directly addressed the Supreme Court justices who were sitting right beneath him about their decision to allow unlimited campaign contributions from corporations. With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections. And he called on Democrats and Republicans to pass a bill to counter the effects of the Supreme Court's decision. Ryan, is anything happening there? From what I can tell, it doesn't seem like a, a, a high priority. A lot of the stuff that's out there seems to, uh, from what I can tell, run into the constitutional issues that the Supreme Court has already uh, raised. There's one fairly clever uh, idea floating around, and that is that if these corporations run ads attacking or supporting candidates, that at the end of the ad, you'd have a face of a, presumably of a white male, <laughs> come on and say, uh, I'm the CEO of Exxon and I approve this message. The idea would be to force companies that do this to identify themselves and to, to make it clear uh, whose interest is being served. But of course, the corporations are already figuring out ways to get around this and to be able to spend the money uh, and make the attacks without their fingerprints all over them. They'll, they'll, they'll use cutouts and third parties and chambers of commerce and that sort of thing, trade associations, to avoid having to take the backlash that, uh, that a particular company might encounter if it starts uh, supporting and attacking candidates. Now, there's an ABC Washington Post poll showing strong opposition bipartisan opposition to the Supreme Court's decision, 80% opposed the decision, and support for limits on corporate campaign do donations. Now, can't Republicans and get Democrats get together on this one issue and, and put together a reasonable bill? No. <laughs> At this point, it looks like they can't get together on anything that uh, Obama could take to the campaign trail mm -hmm. in the next election. Forget about it. Well, and also, you know, this Despite 80% uh, support for, for doing something on this, it, this is an issue that divides the parties. I mean, the Republicans support what the Supreme Court has had to say, say about this, and, and Democrats 
most of them don't. Yeah, because this this decision frees up a gigantic amount of corporate money to support Republicans on the one hand, and a much, much smaller amount of union money to support Democrats. So it's not that hard to figure out uh, why the Republicans are not going to want to get together and sing Kumbaya over this one. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. I am more proud of this show and love working on it more than anything else I've ever done in my life. And the members who sign up and stick with the show are the ones who allow me to follow my passion. Members sign up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year to support the show. In return, besides my undying gratitude, they also receive bonus material through the members-only raw feed. This includes audio and video content from the show and bonus material that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. All of this is delivered in organized feeds so members can access what they want and ignore what they don't. If you're a regular listener of this show and appreciate the service it provides, please consider becoming a member by visiting the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks a lot. This court did not, this majority did not have to resolve this case this way. It could have resolved the Citizens United case very narrowly on whether that Hillary, the, uh, the movie film, could have been denied access to cable channels before the election. But the court reached out and said, we want this case. And they gave a much broader interpretation to it than they needed to do. Do you think that was Justice Kennedy, or was that the machinations of well, Chief I, Justice I, Roberts? Now, I, I don't want to get too much into the, into the weeds here, but you know, if you saw how this case was dealt with in internal Supreme Court matters, it was very extraordinary. It was, they argued it once on the narrow issue of, does it apply to this one-time pay-per-view cable possibility? And then they asked for re-argument. This court almost never asked for re-argument, and they asked for re-argument on the much broader issue of, you know, do corporations have free, free speech rights, and does McCain-Feingold violate those rights? I think John Roberts' fingerprints were all over the change here. And yes, this opinion was written by Justice Kennedy, but I think the, the moving force behind it was the Chief Justice. But what do you think was behind his, his decision? I, I think he thinks that, that First Amendment law, when it comes to corporations, has been off in a wrong direction. And he saw this case, wanted to change it, and use this, use this case as a vehicle. I think it means that there are entire areas of the law that he believes need to be changed and need to be fixed and need to be improved. Irrespective of what he said about precedent? Uh, you know, I, I think the, the words will live in infamy that he said in his famous opening statement at his confirmation where he said, I'm just like a baseball umpire. I don't make the rules. I just call balls and strikes. And he talked about his, his love and respect for the rule of precedent. Nobody ever went to a ball game to see the umpire. Judges have to have the humility to recognize that they operate within a system of precedent shaped by other judges equally striving to live up to the judicial oath. He's got an awfully expansive view of what, ba what baseball umpires do. He's acting a lot more like the commissioner of baseball than, <laughs> a, than, a, than an umpire. Uh, because if you look at all these areas, he's trying to make big changes. You know, he's now been on the court for a substantial amount of time, five almost years, five, five almost years, five huh? years. Abortion rights. Um, Affirmative action and uh, racial preferences. Uh, now, First Amendment rights for corporations. He is interested in dramatic and immediate changes in these areas. Now, he doesn't always have five votes, but he's trying to get them every case. You said in that article you wrote for the New Yorker last year that 
Justice Roberts is a doctrinaire conservative who in his four years on the court, now five, mm -hmm. has served the interest and reflected the values of the contemporary Republican Party. And in practical terms, you said in every major case, he has sided with the prosecution over the defendant, the state over the condemned, the executive branch over the legislative, and the corporate defendant over the individual plaintiff. What ultimately does a series of decisions that he has guided through the court by five to four majorities mean for, for law and politics in this country? The, the court is um, a, a subject to presidential and Senate prerogative, and there is always going to be turnover. But if Roberts can keep mustering his majority, it's going to mean it's harder to sue for basically any kind of damages. And a classic example of that is in the environmental movement, where environmentalists in the last completed Supreme Court term lost every single case that, that was before the justices. You know, the, the, the corporate cases get less publicity except Citizens United than the abortion cases or the free speech cases. But it is extraordinary how often corporations are winning in this court. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, any trust enforcement is being, is being very much limited by this court. Uh, the, the regulatory power of the state is being limited by this court. So, you know, if you look at what the agenda is of the contemporary Republican Party, it matches completely what the Roberts agenda is at the Supreme Court. This doesn't surprise you, does it? Because in his private practice, uh, uh, Mr. Roberts uh, mostly defended corporations against individuals who had sued them. So it's not surprising that he would be turn he would turn out to be a good friend on the court of corporate America. No, you know the the. I guess, you know, when I was covering his appointment, one of the peculiar things about Supreme Court appointments is you don't really know a lot about what people believe because they, he hadn't been a judge for all that long. But everyone who knew Roberts well said to me, just wait. Just wait and see how conservative this guy is. Are we naive to expect that the playing field uh, should be more even than it will be when when corporations have First Amendment rights to spend as much money as they want to on either a judicial or a political election. Well, that, that, that goes for all elections and not just judicial elections. And it's only worse in judicial politics because it, it's, it, those races don't get a lot of attention. You know, when, when in a U.S. Senate race, yeah. a lot of people sort of know where the money's coming from, and the, the, the news media covers it. The news media doesn't even cover these judicial elections very much. So all people see are these horribly distorted campaign ads, and uh, mostly the effective attack ads. And you know, one of the things Congress is thinking about doing to try to salvage something out of Citizens United is at least require identification of the sources of the money for ads. Disclosure of the people who are paying. Right? right. We're all now familiar with the, I'm John McCain and I approve this message. If you have a system that says, I'm Lloyd Blankfein and I'm the CEO of Goldman Sachs and I approve this message, maybe that would um, ha have some... Uh, restraining effect on, on Citizens United. But they can still put their money, if they don't want to do it explicitly or directly, they can put their money into the Chamber of Commerce, whose spending has been going up and up and up, and they don't identify the sources. The sources. And, and, and Congress is, is aware of this problem. I don't know if they can address it, but the issue of straw men and straw sources and I, covering up where the money comes from, they're aware of it. They're trying to address it. We'll see if they make any progress. Do you think that a bad situation is going to get 
terribly worse? I, I, I do, and, and, and I, I think it will be beneath the radar, which is too bad, because these judicial elections are so bad, but not a lot of people pay attention to them. Interestingly, one person who is trying to draw a lot of attention to judicial elections is Sandra Day O'Connor in retirement, who has generally stayed away from criticizing the court, but was outraged at the Citizens United opinion for just this reason, because she knows uh, she has seen what this does to the judicial process, the money. Because and, she was in politics in Arizona before she went to the court. Right, and Arizona actually has a pretty good system for uh, merit selection of judges rather than elections. And, and conservatives in Arizona are trying to get rid of that system and make it a much more political system. What do, you, do you think that her idea of merit selection for judges, that, that somehow the governors of the state, with the help of disinterested parties, would pick a, a, a group of candidates for the state Supreme Court, do you think merit selection ha is, is viable? Yeah. And it works well in a lot of states. It's uh, the Missouri plan is sometimes, Missouri has had it, although it's under challenge there. Not, nothing's perfect. But uh, when you have uh, bipartisan groups of people, screenings, or even governors alone picking judges, uh, it almost invariably produces a better, fairer, more qualified, less uh, partisan judiciary than when um, when when voters do it. But governors are political figures. It doesn't take politics out of the process, does it? And, and nor should it. And, and there's, the politics is not out of the appointment of federal judges. But uh, there is a tradition of excellence among federal judicial appointees, and I think that's true of Democratic and Republican nominees alike. There's a tradition of eminence in the community that is required before you get that nomination. And I think in, in um, states where governors pick, look, nothing is perfect. But by and large, it's a better system than, than uh, elected judges. Will someone please call the surgeon who can crack my ribs and Obama. So long as I have the privilege of serving as your president, I will not stop fighting for you. I won't stop fighting to make sure there's accountability in our financial system. I'm not going to stop fighting until we have jobs for everybody. I'm not going to stop fighting to give our kids the best education possible. I won't stop fighting to give every American a fair shake. I won't stop fighting to open up government. I won't stop fighting to cut waste and abuse in Washington. I want to march forward with you. I want to work with you. I want to fight for you. I hope you're willing to stand by me even during these tough times because I believe in a brighter future for America. 
At the tail end of a week that most Democrats would probably rather forget, President Obama not so quietly transitioned back into campaigner mode, hitting the road in Elyria, Ohio, to pick a populist fight with Wall Street and whoever in politics will stand in the way of his economic agenda. Now, this is not new in terms of policy, but President Obama taking it on in this way, with this kind of a rally on the road in a very familiar battleground state, sort of proof positive that the calendar has flipped to 2010 and Democrats have elections to win. Much of President Obama's fire today was directed toward Wall Street, which happens to be A, a very soft target right now, and B, pretty good politics, since it's an issue that Republicans are on the very un unpopulist side of. We're having a fight right now because I want to charge Wall Street a modest fee to repay taxpayers in full for saving their skins in a time of need. We want our money back. We want our money back. And we're going to get your money back every dime. Each and every dime. Who would be opposed to something like that? Well, after President Obama introduced the idea last week, Republicans slammed it as an Obama tax. A tax that, quote, will only drain capital from the financial system. Quote, how are you going to tax banks and expect them to lend more is frankly lunacy. Scott Brown, Mr. Populist, Mr. I Drive a Truck, campaigned against President Obama's bank fee. The poor banks, poor Wall Street. Thank goodness Republicans are there looking out for them, otherwise they might have to pay back the taxpayer money they were given. This isn't hyperbole. Republicans literally have positioned themselves against getting our money back from the banks. They're standing up for the poor beleaguered Goldman Sachs of the world against the mean taxpayers. Yet Republicans are so cocky about their chances in 2010, I'm not sure they've thought through how this one's really going to sound on the campaign trail this year. President Obama today pointed out yet another legislative fault line separating Democrats and Republicans quite sharply. So long as I'm president, I won't stop fighting to protect you from the kinds of deceptive practices we've seen some, from some in the financial sector. That's why I'm fighting for a tough consumer financial protection agency to protect you against those hidden overdraft fees that can make a single ATM withdrawal cost 30 bucks. Yeah, who would be against a consumer financial protection agency? I mean, who thinks it's cool for an ATM withdrawal to secretly cost you 30 bucks because banks have become fine print ripoff artists? At a time when banks and credit card companies are about as beloved as an alligator in a duck pond, who would want to campaign against something like this? Which costs banks really nothing, but it does protect citizens from the infuriating ways that we've all been ripped off by banks. Meet Senator, Senate, Republican Senator Mike Johans. He sits on the Senate Banking Committee. He's against it. He, just like his Republican colleagues, uh, are, he, he, is, he is against the, the banks and credit card companies' no ripoff bill. He calls it a potential power grab over the nation's economy. The top Republican on the House Banking Committee is also against it. Republicans are positioning themselves on economic issues for 2010 as siding with big business and banks and Wall Street on every major proposal for legislation. And that is the political equivalent of a glass jaw. And the White House today suggested and demonstrated how Democrats could take swings at that glass jaw. 
but you don't win a campaign in America today just by appealing to your base, just by saying the other guys have it wrong. You have to appeal to independents. And this year's flavor of independent, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, leans libertarian. So for the prospects for Democrats attracting independents in this year's campaign, there is the issue of taking on Wall Street, and Dems also have to thank the Supreme Court. Yesterday's radical Supreme Court ruling opens up the floodgates for unlimited corporate spending on campaigns. It says big business can spend as much money as it wants to trying to defeat one candidate or another. Individual citizens' freedom to affect our democracy, anyone's ability to make a difference who isn't named Exxon, consider yourself squished under the heel of special interests and the nation's most rich and powerful companies. And Republican politicians are all in favor of it. I think the Supreme Court decisions today uh, are a big win for the First Amendment and, uh, and, and a step in the right direction. Well, let the American people uh, decide uh, how much money is enough. Exxon wants to spend $10 billion. You have the right to spend $10 billion. Republicans have been rejoicing in this Supreme Court ruling because it likely means that big business will have an even larger megaphone to defeat their traditional Democratic opponents. And while elected Republicans are psyched about this, I'm not sure that the libertarian-minded independents, the Republicans thought they had all locked up for this year, are going to be so psyched about this. For all the small-c conservatives in America, this is a nightmare ruling. Corporations are not people. I mean, do they have the right to bear arms now, too? Do they get, a, do they get the right to vote? Uh, no, they're business entities, which as aggregators of capital have an unfair advantage over citizens and their ability to buy influence in campaigns. That's why corporate politicking was limited before, to preserve individual freedom to make a difference in politics. This is a century of settled law and multiple Supreme Court precedents swept away in this radical decision. And there is a partisan wash over the reaction to this ruling so far, I think because it was the conservative justices who made this ruling. But if there really is a libertarian, freedom-based resurgence in small-c conservative politics in America, and in independent politics in particular, if this rallying cry for personal freedom, individual freedom, is for real, and not just some AstroTurf branding on what's really a corporate agenda, like they keep, like they keep assuring us, then these folks in the streets are not going to be psyched about the power that corporations were just handed in politics, quite literally at the expense of individual freedom, citizens, real people. This might be great for the business wing of the establishment, right, of, of establishment party politics, but this is deadly for everyone else's political power. And some principled conservatives are already starting to figure this out. And yet, elected Republicans are lining up behind it. Republicans are celebrating it as a big win. And that is a huge political opening for President Obama and the Democrats. That is an aces-high political royal flush for Democrats. If Republicans stay with this corporate agenda, and if Obama and Democrats can define themselves as the people who are going to save the country from greedy Wall Street and from this Supreme Court-imposed disaster for individual freedom. That's if President Obama can define himself as the guy who's against this Supreme Court ruling, if Democrats can define themselves as the one who will fix it. Can they fix it? Last night, Barney Frank, chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, told us that he thinks they can. 
Corporations are not natural beings. They only exist by law. That's why it was so odd that the uh, court found that they had this constitutional right. But what we can do that's perfectly statutorily possible and constitutionally, I believe, unassailable, is to impose restrictions as a matter of corporate law on what corporations can do. They are given special treatment. They have liabilities that are limited. They have all kinds of privileges. We have traditionally conditioned those privileges on rules. And I talked today to a couple of my colleagues, and uh, when we get back in on uh, in, in the session, I'm going to designate uh, a couple of my colleagues on the Financial Services Committee to begin working to prepare a package of legislation that will put some restraints on this. I wonder where the Republicans on the committee will be on it when it comes before them. Hmm. of a long career in journalism, I've covered the story of money and politics more than any other. From time to time, I've been hopeful about a change for the better. But truth is, it just keeps getting uglier every year. Those who write the checks keep on buying the results they want at the expense of the public. As a reputedly self-governing democracy, we desperately need to address the problems that we've created for ourselves. But money makes impossible the reforms that might save us. Nothing in this country seems to be working to anyone's satisfaction except the wealth machine that rewards those who game the system. Unless we break their grip on our political institutions, their power to buy the agenda they want, no matter the cost to everyone else, we are finished as a functioning democracy. In this, I am sympathetic to the people who show up at Tea Party rallies asking what happened to their jobs, their pensions, their security, the America they believed in. What's happened, says the political scientist Sheldon Wolin, is the increasing cohabitation of state and corporate power. This is why I find the Supreme Court ruling so preposterous and ominous. Five radical judges have taken a giant step toward legitimating the corporate takeover of democracy. One person, one vote? Stop kidding yourself. As I once heard a very rich oilman tell Congress after he paid $300,000 to the Democratic Party to get a moment of President Clinton's ear. Money is a bit more than a vote. The huge sums of money that already flood our elections will now be multiplied many times over, most likely in secret. Just this week, that indispensable journalistic website, TalkingPointsMemo.com, reported that an influential Washington lobbying firm is alerting corporate clients on how to use trade associations like the Chamber of Commerce as pass-throughs to dump unlimited amounts of cash directly into elections. They can specifically advocate or oppose a candidate right up to election day while keeping a low profile to prevent public scrutiny and negative press coverage. We'll never know what hit us, and like the Titanic, we'll go down, but with even fewer lifeboats. Turn this boat around.
this is such an enormous poll because this shows you what is wrong with the Democratic Party. Because they're trying to figure out after the Scott Brown election in Massachusetts, where did we go wrong? Did we not go far enough to the right? Did we not deliver enough change? Which way should we go? Well, look at this poll. It's bipartisan. And majority of voters strongly favor both requiring corporations to get shareholder approval before political spending. That 80% favor that. They don't want the corporations spending money. They get it. They, they think that the corporations already have too much power in our politics. 56% of that say that strongly. 80% overall, 56 strongly. That's enormous numbers. Um, and how about banning political spending by foreign corporations? 51% strongly favor, 60% favor overall. I'm surprised that number isn't even larger. So how about the Fair Elections Now Act? That's being proposed by Congressman Larson in the House, for example, and Dick Durbin is involved in the Senate. And that calls for public financing of campaigns. Now, Republicans should theoretically be against that because their leadership is against it because they love collecting money from corporate America. But when you ask the people, that's not the answer you get. By a two-to-one margin, 62% to 31%, giant numbers, what they say is we should set up a public campaign system. And in the poll, so remember, it's both sides are involved in the poll. They ask the question, but here are the downsides to setting up a public financing of campaigns. Do you want to give politicians your taxpayer money, et cetera? And people are like, yes, I do, because I don't want to get them getting it from corporate America. 62 to 31, we should do public financing. That's a huge number. And uh, how about Republicans? 50% of Republicans said, yes, we should do public financing of campaigns. Now, 40% opposed it. So a more Republican in favor of public financing, which is supposed to be a quote-unquote liberal position. But it's not a liberal position. Because like I say on this show all the time, why do Republicans want to get robbed? They don't want to get robbed either. They don't want the pork barrel spending. They don't want the corporate uh, lobbyists to come in there and take the money because they grease the politicians. Nobody wants that. Now, the Fox News of the world and Rush Limbaugh's and the Republican politicians will go after this and try to whittle that number down. They'll pretend, oh, no, 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 you know, corporate America is good for you, and this is about freedom and liberty, and you should let the corporation spend as much money as possible, and they'll try to bring that Republican number down. But right now, before the, this issue got polluted, the American people can see what's absolutely obvious, that our, the problem is our politicians are too corrupted, and that includes Obama. So let's go to Obama, and this is where he's really got to hear the warning sign here, okay? Um, they asked him, um, do you think the president has done enough to get rid of corporate influence and lobbyist influence uh, in the country? 56% of respondents say Obama has not done enough to reduce the influence of special interests, while just 35% say that he has, quote, made an effort to reduce the influence of special interests. Now, look. Obama has banned lobbyists from his campaign, and he's done two, three different proposals, and he says, look, isn't that good enough? I've done more than any other politician. And the American people are saying resoundingly, no, not good enough, because we can still see you making the deal with uh, Big Pharma, the drug companies, health insurance companies, you know, every kind of company that is, they're, they're getting a deal from the White House. The banks, etc., Wall Street, everybody's getting a deal. It's plain as day. Obama, what are you doing wrong? You're not going after the establishment enough. You're not going after the lobbyists enough. The American people are screaming it to you. You've you got to be able to listen to them. So if he doesn't turn it around and say, all right, look, I'm sorry. 
I meant to deliver change. And the way you deliver change is not by listening to the lobbyists, not by cutting deals with the drug companies or with the banks, and it's not by cutting deals with the Republicans who say, in another story we're going to get to soon, they say, we want to be on Wall Street's side. We want to take Wall Street's money. You don't do, if you cut a deal with the Republicans, you're not giving enough change. You need to get rid of the lobbyists that the Republicans represent. How much of this does Obama have to see before he changes direction? And by the way, the Fair Elections Now campaign, you got the wind at your back. The problem, again, is that these guys have bought and sold. If they listen to the American people, you got 80% of the American people on your side, you should be able to pass out like this. But you can't pass it. Why can't you pass it through Congress? Because they're already bought by the lobbyists, Republicans and a lot of the Democrats. We have to change the system, and we've got to find a way, and we've got to fight hard. And the guy who's supposed to be fighting the hardest for us is Obama. I hope he gets that message. You know, some people, they just won't understand, or just won't understand these things. Thank you for your message, but I don't understand, or just won't understand these things. to corporate sponsorship, I have always been a trailblazer. In fact, that statement was sponsored by the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> trailblazers, they're great. And I believe when historians look back at the coming corporate sponsorgarchy, they'll start with my 2008 presidential campaign. Jim, my candidacy will be officially known as the Hail to the Cheese, Stephen Colbert, Nacho Cheese, Doritos 2008 presidential campaign. I was the Rosa Parks of riding in the back of a corporate jet. Now, it turns out by having corporate sponsorship for my campaign, I was violating federal election law. But thanks to a new Supreme Court decision, if I run in 2012, no promises. I, 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 folks. I am going to leave my competition in the dust, the nacho cheese dust. And here's why. The U.S. Supreme Court today overturned laws on the books for nearly a century and ruled that corporations can spend freely now on political campaigns. Those who like this decision say it's a victory for free speech. Those who don't say campaigns will now be drowning in corporate cash and influence. Drowning? Yes, unless you have lifesavers. <laughs> lifesavers. They're great. <laughs> Folks, this ruling is just common sense. The Supreme Court long ago decided that corporations are people, and that people have unlimited right to free speech, and that money equals speech. Therefore, corporations have a right to speak with unlimited money. It's the same logic I use on my taxes. Time is money. Time waits for no man. No man is an island. Therefore, no man needs to know about my secret bank account in the Cayman Islands. 
And corporations deserve free speech. Why should my banker, Morgan Stanley, have fewer rights than my barber, Stanley Morgan? <laughs> but now, now they'll both be able to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on ads attacking banking regulations. And I say, may the best man win. And I can't wait to see the new corporate campaign ads. I like Mitch McConnell. He'll tear down the wall between church and state. Oh, yeah. Oh, for Mitch McConnell. But, folks, this ruling has bigger implications than the fact that every campaign ad for every congressman can now be paid for by that guy from the Dos Equis ads. <laughs> and it brings us to tonight's word. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe in America's legal system, except when it makes rulings I don't like. And folks, far too often, we are stuck with those bad decisions, thanks to a legal maxim known as stare decisis, which means maintain what has been decided in Latin. I wonder which wise Latina came up with that one. Now, stare decisis is the principle that overturning previous decisions should be avoided because it will lead to chaos. You see, every time, every time a new justice is appointed, the Constitution's meaning would change according to that justice's whims. Or in the case of Clarence Thomas, the whims of the guy next to him. But that means letting judges who have been dead for a hundred years tell us how to live. Who the hell is Oliver Wendell Holmes to tell me what's constitutional? Also, who the hell is Oliver Wendell Holmes? Now, thankfully, thankfully, Chief Justice John Roberts has a brilliant legal strategy to get around following precedent. Not following precedent. <laughs> Folks, this legal decision to allow corporations unlimited campaign funding reversed a hundred years of precedent. But Roberts pointed out that that was okay because one of those Supreme Court precedents from 1990 had two spirited dissents and that undermined its ability to contribute to the stable and orderly development of the law. Especially when the two spirited dissenters from that case are sitting right next to you. <laughs> Are they still there? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and folks, there is ample precedent for ignoring precedent, like Bush v. Gore, which stated that their decision in that case was limited to the present circumstances only. Or to put that in layman's terms, we're only going to try heroin once. <laughs> so, to recap, according According to Chief Justice Roberts, any Supreme Court decision that was not unanimous is now in question. Now, folks, I believe, I believe this is great news because there were spirited dissenters in the decision on Miranda rights. So hopefully soon, cops will have to say so much less when they arrest someone. Also, remember, Roe v. Wade wasn't unanimous. So ladies, Prepare for your rights to be re-examined by these five feminists. <laughs> and there was also dissent in the ruling that prohibited the death penalty for minors, which means kids, 
you better behave. <laughs> the quiet corner soon may have lethal injection. But remember, there is one court case with spirited dissent that we must uphold. This one. Because future courts must respect Justice Roberts' decision that he doesn't have to respect previous decisions. Otherwise, if Roberts dies, say by drowning in his own deep blue eyes, and Barack Obama then appoints a liberal, the new court could simply overturn the precedent that we can overturn precedent. And that would be a terrible precedent. Thanks for listening, everyone. So to start off, I'm going to thank a couple of members, as I always do. But uh, today at the end of the show, I have uh, one real big thank you to, to give out. So stick around for that. First of all, I just want to thank Sandra S. Maybe it's Sandra, I, you know, whichever you prefer, uh, who signed up for membership on October 25th of last year. And James J., who signed up just on, uh, on December 22nd of last year. James went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. Huge thanks to both of those members. Members are what keep the show going. But speaking of keeping the show going, there there's one person who's like literally done more to keep the show going than anybody else except me. You know, <laughs> this, this guy has done more to help the show um, by far, by leaps and bounds than, than anyone else. And that's that's Billy. I, I used to refer to him as Billy from Oregon, but he's not from Oregon anymore. So, uh, so Billy from Oregon, he, he wrote me an email, uh, you know, two or three years ago now. And he said, you know, Hey, I, you know, I really like the show. I'd, I'd love to help out. Um, frankly, you look like you don't know what you're doing when it comes to your website. I'd love to build you a website or, you know, I'm totally paraphrasing, but it was something kind of along those lines. So he, he basically volunteered to build me a website, uh, which he did. Um, then, you know, a long time after that, we totally revamped the website. He totally redesigned it. And so, you know, about 90% of what you see on the website is his doing. And I, I think it looks great. And, you know, and I bring all this up now is because just in this past week or so, I, uh, the, the, the website, bestoftheleft.com, was actually hacked in, in such a way, like, it, it wasn't hacked to be taken down. Like, no one was trying to uh, sabotage the website. But they were hacking it so that they could uh, put in some, like, male enhancement drug links and, like, embed it into the code and, and you know, get it way deep down in the bowels of the website so that it would just kind of, like, sit there and in some totally roundabout way that I don't fully understand would somehow financially, uh, you know, profit someone else for the fact that those links were on my website, which probably made those links... Uh, you know, rank higher in the in the search engine rankings. I mean, it's absurd. And and I gotta say, having having your site hacked so that someone can embed links like that, it's like having a tapeworm. I mean, it's it's an absolutely awful feeling where you you're just you feel so invaded that uh, that it's really really awful. And so I did you know my little bit of research. Longtime listeners of the show know that especially when it comes to the website, I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm really just kind of faking it. And anything that looks good is because someone else showed me how to do it, and I can just kind of duplicate uh, whatever they came up with. 
And so I did my little bit of research to try to figure out what the steps I needed to take were. I knew I couldn't do it myself. I'd have to have someone else do it, but uh, but at least try to figure out what I needed to do. And it was based, it was sounding like a total rebuild of the website was going to be necessary, like tear everything down and build it all back up to patch the hole. You know, someone had created a little hole, a little back door in the website so they could slither in there. And and so it was like, sure, you can you can kind of clean it up, but unless you patch up that hole, they're going to come back. And so, so you know, I thought, well, oh no, <laughs> this this sounds horrible. So I, I emailed Billy and I said, okay, here's the situation. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what can be done. Here's, here's the help guides I found. What can you tell me? And he essentially came back, you know, after, after one or two just email exchanges, he came back with something along the lines of, okay, so good news. I, uh, I cleaned up the whole website. I patched the hole. Uh, I upgraded the website. I built in about four extra layers of security and I made a video tutorial for you of how you can kind of continue to manage the website on your own. I mean, that's insane. I, the the degree to which Billy kicks ass just cannot be overstated. And so, um, you know, I've, I've done it before when I've, I've just had to come on here and make, make a big deal about thanking him for the work he's done in the past. But this was like, this was above and beyond. This was... Uh, you know, this wasn't like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we could upgrade the website? Hey, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be nice if we made it look better? Uh, this is like, you know, things were going wrong. The, uh, the, the, the feed for the blog was actually broken. Like, if you were subscribed to the blog itself, it had stopped updating. It had stopped working because of this hack. You know, it was like, it was causing problems. And, uh, and he came in and just like, as I was you know, fretting about this, uh, having no idea how to handle the situation, he fixed it and, and like, beat it to a, a bloody pulp. <laughs> so, uh, of course, I just had to come out today, uh, you know, the, basically the first show after after everything was patched up and um, and make a big deal about thanking him. Uh, he, he didn't ask me to say this, and, and I don't know, maybe he w- would wish I wouldn't, but if you... Uh, if you need help with a website, let me put you in touch with him, and then let him be the one to turn you down. I'm, I want to, I want to give him the chance to get some, uh, uh, you know, some freelance work if he wants it. You know, if he doesn't want it, that's cool. But um, if if you if you need help with a website, his his specialty is definitely a WordPress. That's what my website is built on. Um, so if you need you know design work or or back end work uh, for for kind of the the structure of your website uh i i don't have anyone in the world who i who i trust more more than this guy um so if just if you if you need help with that uh and and you're looking to to hire someone to to do something at least send me an email so that i can pass it on to him and uh and if he can if he wants to find the time to do it then uh then that would be great and if he doesn't have the time then it's unfortunate but at least uh, at least I put it out there so that uh, so that he has a chance to, to pick up some extra work. That's all I got for today. I hope you continue to support the show by spreading the word to uh, all of your friends, at least five. All of the details on how to support the show are on the now uh, hack-free, worm-free, uh, male enhancement drug links embedded deep in the website, free 
bestoftheleft.com at the uh, support box right on the uh, on the right side of the website. So check that out. If you if you listen to the show but you're not subscribed to it, please check out the website. There, there's a subscribe box and then a little link for uh, for more options. So if you're not into the iTunes or uh, you know kind of the standard uh, standard fare, we got like eight different ways to subscribe to the show. So check that out. Uh, whether it just be uh, subscribing to the blog, if you're in the blogs, or getting an email every time a new show comes up, check that out so you can make sure you don't miss a single one, especially since next month we'll be increasing the number of shows to 10 a month instead of just 8 as it is right now. You can also find the show on Twitter and Facebook, and links to all the music and sources are always going to be listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks only to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, smell black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet the only maker that you wanna meet. A dying man in a living room. Whose shadow bases the floor. We'll take you out any open door. This is not my life. It's just a fun friend I want to a friend.